Section 11 of The Ninth Vibration and Other Stories by L. Adams Beck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Building Taj Mahal. In the name of God, the Compassionate, the Merciful, the Smiting, a day when the soul shall know what it has sent on or kept back, a day when no soul shall control aught for another, and the bidding belongs to God. The Quran. 1. Now, in the Shah and Shah, Shah Jahan, emperor in India, loved his wife with a great love. And of all the wives of the Mughal emperors, surely this lady Arjamand, Mumtaz in Mahal, the chosen of the palace, was the most worthy of love. In the tresses of her silk-soft hair his heart was bound, and for none other had he so much as a passing thought, since his soul had been submerged in her sweetness. Of her he said, using the words of the poet Faisai, How shall I understand the magic of love the juggler? For he made thy beauty enter at that small gate the pupil of my eye, and now, and now my heart cannot contain it. But who should marvel? For those who have seen this Arjamand crowned with the crown of the Padishah set upon her sweet low brows, with the lamps of great jewels lighting the dimples of her cheeks as they swung beside them, have most surely seen perfection. He who sat upon the peacock throne, where the outspread tail of the massed gems is centered by that great ruby, the eye of the peacock, the tribute of the world, valued it not so much as one lock of the dark and perfumed tresses that rolled to her feet. Less to him the twelve throne columns set close with pearls than the little pearls she showed in her sweet laughter. For if this lady was all beauty, so too was she all goodness, and from the Shah and Shah to the poorest, all hearts of the world knelt in adoration before the chosen of the palace. She was, indeed, an extraordinary beauty, in that she had the soul of a child, and she alone remained unconscious of her power, and so she walked, crowned and clothed with humility. Cold, haughty, and silent was the Shanshah before she blessed his arms, flattered, envied, but loved by none. But the gift this lady brought with her was love, and this, shining like the sun upon ice, melted his coldness, and he became indeed the kingly centre of a kingly court, may the peace be upon her. Now it was the dawn of a sorrowful day, when the pains of the Lady Arjumand came strong and terrible, and she travailed in agony. The Hakim's physicians stroked their beards and reasoned with one another. The wise women surrounded her, and remedies many and great were tried, and still her anguish grew, and in the hall without sat the Shah and Shah upon his divan, in anguish of spirit yet greater. The sweat ran on his brows, the knotted veins were thick on his temples, and his eyes, sunk in their caves, showed as those of a maddened man. He crouched on his cushions and stared at the purdah 
that divided him from the lady, and all day the people came and went about him, and there was silence from the voice he longed to hear, for she would not moan lest the sound should slay the emperor. Her women besought her, fearing that her strong silence would break her heart, but still she lay, her hands clenched in one another, enduring, and the emperor endured without. The day of the smiting. So, as the time of the evening prayer drew nigh, a child was born, and the empress, having done with pain, began to sink slowly into that profound sleep that is the shadow cast by the last. May Allah the Upholder have mercy on our weakness. And the women, white with fear and watching, looked upon her, and whispered one to another, It is the end. And the aged mother of Abdul Mirza, standing at her head, said, She heeds not the cry of the child. She cannot stay. And the newlywed wife of Saif Khan, standing at her feet, said, The voice of the beloved husband is as the call of the angel. Let the Padishah be summoned. So the evening prayer being over, but the emperor had not prayed, the wisest of the Hakims, Kazim Sharif, went before him and spoke, In Allah, may the will of the issuer of decrees in all things be done. Ascribe unto the Creator glory, bowing before his throne. And he remained silent, but the Padishah, haggard in his jewels, with his face hidden, answered thickly, The truth, for Allah has forgotten his slave. And Kazim Sharif, bowing at his feet and veiling his face with his hands, replied, The voice of the child cannot reach her, and the Lady of Delight departs. He who would speak with her must speak quickly. Then the Emperor rose to his feet unsteadily, like a man drunk with the forbidden juice, and when Kazim Sharif would have supported him, he flung aside his hands, and he stumbled, a man wounded to death, as it were, to the marble chamber where she lay. In that white chamber it was dusk, and they had lit the little cressets so that a very faint light fell upon her face. A slender fountain a little cooled the hot still air with its thin music, its sprinkled diamonds, and outside the summer lightnings were playing wide and blue on the river, but so still was it that the dragging footsteps of the emperor raised the hair of the flesh of those who heard, so the women who should veiled themselves, and the others remained like pillars of stone. Now when those steps were heard, a faint color rose in the cheek of the Lady Arjamand, but she did not raise the heavy lashes, or move her hand. And he came up beside her, and the shadow of God, who should kneel to none, knelt, and his head fell forward upon her breast, and in the hush the women glided out like ghosts, leaving the husband with the wife, excepting only that her foster nurse stood far off with eyes averted. So the minutes drifted by, falling audibly one by one into eternity, and at the long last she opened her eyes and, as from the depths of a dream, beheld the emperor, and in a voice faint as the fall of a rose-leaf, she said the one word, Beloved. And he, from between his clenched teeth, 
answered, Speak, wife. So she, who in all things had loved and served him, she, light of all hearts, dispeller of all gloom, gathered her dying breath for consolation, and raised one hand slowly, and it fell across his, and so remained. Now her beauty had been broken in the anguish, like a rose in storm, but it returned to her, doubtless that the Padishah might take comfort in its memory, and she looked like a Aori of Paradise, who kneeling beside the Zemzem well, beholds the waters of peace. Not Fatima herself, the daughter of the Prophet of God, shone more sweetly. She repeated the word, Beloved, and after a pause she whispered on with lips that scarcely stirred, King of the age, this is the end. But still he was like a dead man, not lifted his face. Surely all things pass, and though I go, in your heart I abide, and nothing can sever us. Take comfort. But there was no answer. Nothing but love's own hand can slay love. Therefore remember me, and I shall live. And he answered from the darkness of her bosom, The whole world shall remember. But when shall I be united to thee? O Allah, how long wilt thou leave me to waste in this separation? And she, Beloved, what is time? We sleep, and the night is gone. Now put your arms about me, for I sink into rest. What words are needed between us? Love is enough. So, making not the profession of faith, and what need, since all her life was worship, the Lady Arjumand turned in his arms like a child. And the night deepened. Morning, with its arrows of golden light that struck the river to splendor. Morning, with its pure breath, its sunshine of joy, and the coals fluting in the palace gardens. Morning, divine and new from the hand of the Maker and in the innermost chamber of marble a white silence, and the lady, the mirror of goodness, lying in the compassion of Allah, and a broken man stretched on the ground beside her. For all flesh, from the camel driver to the Shah and Shah, is as one in the day of the smiting. 2. For weeks the emperor lay before the door of death, and had it open to him, he had been blessed. So the months went by, and very slowly the strength returned to him, but his eyes were withered, and the bones stood out in his cheeks. But he resumed his throne, and sat upon it kingly, black-bearded, eagle-eyed, terribly apart in his grief and his royalty. And so, seated among his uzbegs, he declared his will. For this lady, upon whom be peace, departed to the mercy of the giver and taker, shall a tomb palace be made, the like of which is not found in the four corners of the world. Send forth, therefore, for craftsmen, like the builders of the temple of Solomon the wise, for I will build. So, taking counsel, they sent in haste into Agra and Ustad Iza, the master builder, a man of Shiraz, 
and he, being presented before the Padishah, received his instructions in these words. I will that all the world shall remember the flower of the world, that all hearts shall give thanks for her beauty, which was indeed the perfect mirror of the Creator. And since it is abhorrent of Islam that any image be made in the likeness of anything that has life, make for me a palace tomb, gracious as she was gracious, lovely as she was lovely, not such as the tombs of kings and the conquerors, but of a divine sweetness. Make me a garden on the banks of Jumna, and build it there, where, sitting in my pavilion of marble, I may see it rise. And Ustad Iza, having heard, said, Upon my head and eyes, and went out from the presence. So, musing upon the words of the Padishah, he went to his house in Agra, and there pondered the matter long and deeply, and for the whole day and night he refused all food and secluded himself from the society of all men, for he said, This is a weighty thing, for this lady, upon whom be peace, must visibly dwell in her tomb-palace on the shore of the river, and how shall I, who have never seen her, imagine the grace that was in her, and restore it to the world? Oh, had I but the memory of her face! Could I but see it, as the Shah and Shah sees it, remembering the past? Prophet of God, intercede for me, that I may look through his eyes if but for a moment. That night he slept, wearied and weakened with fasting, and whether it were that the body guarded no longer the gates of the soul, I cannot say, for, when the body ails, the soul soars free above its weakness. But a strange marvel happened, for, as it seemed to him, he awoke at the mid-noon of the night, and he was sitting, not in his own house, but upon the roof of the royal palace, looking down on the gliding Jumna, where the low moon slept in silver, and the light was alone upon the water. And there were no boats, but sleep and dream, hovering hand in hand, moved upon the air, and his heart was dilated in the great silence. Yet he knew well that he waked in some supernatural sphere, for his eyes could see across the river as if the opposite shore lay at his feet, and he could distinguish every leaf on every tree, and the flowers moon-blanched and ghost-like. And there, in the blackest shade of the pipple boughs, he beheld a faint light, like a pearl, and looking with unspeakable anxiety, he saw within the light, slowly growing, the figure of a lady exceedingly glorious in majesty, and crowned with rayed crown of mighty jewels on white and golden splendor. Her gold robe fell to her feet, and, very strange to tell, her feet touched not the ground, but hung a span's length above it, so that she floated in the air. But the marvel of marvels was her face, not indeed for its beauty, though that transcended all, but for its singular and compassionate sweetness, wherewith she looked toward the palace beyond the river as if it held the heart of her heart, while death and its river lay between. And Ustad Iza 
said, O oh, dream, if this sweetness be but a dream, let me never wake. Let me see forever this exquisite work of Allah the Maker, before whom all the craftsmen are as children. For my knowledge is as nothing, and I am ashamed in its presence. And as he spoke, she turned those brimming eyes on him, and he saw her slowly absorbed into the glory of the moonlight. But as she faded into dream, he beheld, slowly rising, where her feet had hung in the blessed air, a palace of whiteness, warm as ivory, cold as chastity, domes and cupolas, slender menars, arches of marble fretted into sea-foam, screen within screen of purest marble, to hide the sleeping beauty of a great queen, silence in the heart of it, and in every line a harmony beyond all music. Grace was about it, the grace of a queen who prays and does not command, who, seated in her royalty, yet inclines all hearts to love. And he saw that its grace was her grace, and its soul her soul, and that she gave it for the consolation of the emperor. And he fell on his face and worshipped the master builder of the universe, saying, Praise cannot express thy perfection. Thine essence confounds thought. Surely I am but the tool in the hand of the builder. And when he woke, he was lying in his own secret chamber, but beside him was a drawing such as the craftsmen make of the work they have imagined in their hearts. And it was the palace of the tomb. Henceforward, how should he waver? He was a slave who obeys his master, and with haste he summoned to Agra his army of beauty. Then were assembled all the master craftsmen of India and of the outer world. From Delhi, from Shiraz, even from Baghdad and Syria they came. Muhammad Hanif, the wise mason, came from Kandahar. Muhammad Syed from Multan. Amanat Khan, and other great writers of the Holy Quran, who should make the scripts of the book upon fine marble, inlayers from Kanaud, with fingers like those of spirits that bowed before Solomon the king, who should make beautiful the pure stone with inlay of jewels, as did their forefathers for the Raja of Miwar, mighty dealers with agate, cornelian, and lapis lazuli, came also from Bukhara, Ada Muhammad, and Chakri Muhammad, that they might carve the lilies of the field, very glorious, about that flower of the world. Men of India, men of Persia, men of the outer lands, they came at the bidding of Ustad Issa, that the spirit of his vision might be made manifest. And a great council was held among these servants of beauty, so they made a model in little, of the glory that was to be, and laid it at the feet of the Shah and Shah, and he allowed it, though not as yet fully discerning their intent. And when it was approved, Ustad Issa called to him a man of Kashmir, and the very hand of the Creator was upon this man, for he could make gardens second only to the gardens of Paradise, having been born by that dull lake where there are those roses of the earth, the Shalimar and the Nishatba, and to him said Ustad Issa, Behold, 
Rain La Kashmiri, consider this design. Thus and thus shall a white palace, exquisite in perfection, arise on the banks of Jumna. Here, in little, in this model of sandalwood, see what shall be. Consider these domes, rounded as the bosom of beauty, recalling the mystic fruit of the lotus flower. Consider these four minars that stand about them like spirits about the throne. And remembering that all this shall stand upon a great dais of purest marble, and that the river shall be its mirror, repeating to everlasting its loveliness, make me a garden that shall be the throne room to this queen. And Ram Lal Kashmiri salaamed and said, Obedience, and went forth and pondered night and day, journeying even over the snows of the Pir Panjal to Kashmir, that he might bathe his eyes in beauty, where she walks, naked and divine upon the earth, and he it was who imagined the black marble and white that made the way of approach. So grew the palace that should murmur, like a seashell, in the ear of the world the secret of love. Veiled had that loveliness been in the shadow of the palace, but now the sun should rise upon it, and turn its ivory to gold, should set upon it and flush its snow with rose. The moon should lie upon it like the pearls upon her bosom, the visible grace of her presence breathe about it, the music of her voice hover in the birds and trees of the garden. Times there were when Ustad Issa despaired, lest even these mighty servants of beauty should miss perfection. Yet it grew and grew, rising like the growth of a flower. So, on a certain day it stood completed, and beneath the small tomb in the sanctuary, veiled with screens of wrought marble so fine that they might lift in the breeze, the veils of a queen, slept the Lady Arjamand, and above her a narrow coffer of white marble, enriched in a great script with the ninety-nine wondrous names of God. And the Shah and Shah, now grey and worn, entered and, standing by her, cried in a loud voice, I ascribe to the unity the only creator, the perfection of his handiwork made visible here by the hand of mortal man. For the beauty that was secret in my palace is here revealed. And the crowned lady shall sit forever upon the banks of the Jumna River. It was love that commanded this tomb. And the golden echo carried his voice up into the high dome, and it died away in whispers of music. But Ustad Issa, standing far off in the throng, for what are craftsmen in the presence of the mighty, said softly in his beard, It was love also that built, and therefore it shall endure. Now it is told that, on a certain night in summer, when the moon is full, a man who lingers by the straight water, where the cypresses stand over their own image, may see a strange marvel, may see the palace of the Taj dissolve like a pearl, and so rise in a mist into the moonlight, and in its place, on her dais of white marble, he shall see the Lady Arjamad, Mumtaz Mahal, the chosen of the palace, 
stand there in the white perfection of beauty, smiling as one who hath attained unto the peace. For she is its soul. And kneeling before the dais, he shall see Ustad Issa, who made this body of her beauty, and his face is hidden in his hands. End of section 11